We're really glad that you decided to come again for another conversation around this idea of did God really say? Uh, In this series, we're really evaluating what is truth and what is lies, and is God worthy of trusting as your authority? That's what we're looking at through these three weeks, or these four weeks, and this is week three of that. Now, I said it each time, I'll say it again, there is heavy, heavy influence in this series from a few people, and since I was an English major, I don't like to plagiarize. It's baked into me. There's some PTSD, so I'm just going to say who it's from, and also this can be like further reading for you if you want to learn more. So the first is this guy named John Mark Comer. He's a pastor out in Portland. Uh, He just began this new thing called Practicing the Way, but he wrote a book called Live No Lies, and that book is a massive influence on the topic and on the conversation we're having. And then Joel Thomas is our lead pastor at our Buckhead Church location, and Joel did a series very similar to this back last winter, and so we are taking a lot of that content and doing it. And then today I got a new one for you. This guy named Craig Groeschel. He is a pastor out in Oklahoma, if you don't know who he is, but He wrote a book called Winning the War in Your Mind that is going to shape a lot of our conversation tonight. So if you weren't here with us or if you've been watching online, if you want to catch up, um, you absolutely can. can, We got all these uh, services on YouTube. We got podcasts for everything. But let me give you a little recap to know where we're going so that it'll inform us about tonight and what the conversation will look like. So we began week one by talking about the reality that God is our ultimate authority, but you have an enemy who is trying to take that away, trying to get you to doubt whether or not you can trust him. And he's got a a deceptive way that he goes about doing that. And in doing so, he's ultimately trying to get you to say, I don't know really that I can trust you. So we've been evaluating some questions about life, some of the most important questions that you're gonna ask in your life. Questions like this. Questions like, who is God? That was week one. And then who am I? And then because of those two things, what does it mean for my future? So last week we really landed on who am I? And I asked you the question, not just who am I, but I wanted you to evaluate based on all the things around you, all the things of your life, who am I really? But if you paid attention, or if you watched, or if you caught up, really the conversation wasn't who am I really. Really, we were answering the question, who am I not? And we were asking the question, who am I really, to get really for you to think, who am I not? Because ultimately, you've got influences and you have things in your life that are vying for space to tell you who you are. So since we did it the first two weeks, we're going to do it again. I'm going to draw some things, and y'all get to follow along. And in your life, you have everything either in you, around you. There are all these influences that are vying from outside of you for a spot in your heart to tell you who you actually are. And these outside influences, as they vie for that spot, they're constantly doing this, whether you're aware of it or not, because most of the time you didn't even ask for these influences from outside of you to tell you who you are. I know this to be true because I have children and I'm starting to see with some of my kids the reality that there are outside influences that they didn't ask for that are trying to tell them who they are. And it is awful, like heartbreaking, awful, the way that it's happening. So I got two girls that are in elementary school and one of them came home the other day and I was like, hey, how was school? And she was like, fine. I was like, oh, great, you're 14 already. This is lovely, okay. You don't wanna talk to me. And I was like, no, how was it? And she was like, it was fine, it really was. Uh, At recess, I had this, I was playing with this thing and then I took something, but someone else wanted it and this boy came up to me and he wanted it and I didn't give it to him. He said, oh yeah, well, you're fat. Exactly, that kid doesn't exist anymore. Isn't that great? I'm just kidding, just kidding. She stomped him. No, she didn't. I wish she did, though. No. Some stupid little eight-year-old 
sat there and told my daughter, you're fat. And now my daughter at eight years old is already having influences around her that are communicating something about her. But she didn't ask for him to say that. She didn't give them the keys to her identity and yet she's gonna have to fight these outside influences because we all do. This is all of our story, regardless of where you grow up, when you grew up, or where you are in life. Even if you're in college or you're a kid or you're a grown adult, you're always having to fight this in your life. But what's true and what we learned about last week is that none of those sources can truly tell you who you are. All they do is they create a narrative about you that's built on ultimately the reactions and your reactions to those things or to those people or to those thoughts, those influences. And ultimately, every one of those things that you come up to in your mind about what they are, ultimately all of it's based on your feelings, not on authority, or if you're a follower of Jesus, not on his ultimate authority. No, it's not even based on truth. These narratives aren't based on anything that's real. They're based on and founded on what you feel. And so what I want us to do is even see that this is not something new. Look at this observation this guy named Blaise Pascal said. Blaise Pascal was a, uh, what was he? he was a physicist, he was a theologian, he was a mathematician, he kind of did everything, but he made this observation about people 400 years ago, and watch how true it still is. Here's his observation. He says, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not based on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Not is it true or is it real, but do I like it? And how does that make me feel? It's like Dr. Seuss, right? Not based on is it true or is it real, but do I like it? And how does it make me feel? This is why marketing and advertising exists, guys. This is their entire job. This is why they actually exist. How many of you in the room are marketing or advertising majors? Show your hands. You know this is right. Like you're getting a degree because you know this is true. This is completely the reality that we live in. This is our world and our society and our culture is that people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs based on their feelings. Guys, this is why political campaigns, as awful as they are, work. This is why all that messaging, as we get near this election season, this is why all of that is blasted everywhere all around you, because it works. It evokes an emotion within you that makes you think something that you believe to be true. It's based on a feeling. That's why it works. But what I need you to know is that this is how the enemy works as well. That you have an enemy in life who wants to take everything that you want in life and he wants to steal and kill and destroy it. And this is how he works. He works through the reality that you are going to try to build your world and build your identity, not based on what is true or what is real, but do I like it? And how does it make me feel? Remember, this is this threefold strategy that he has that we see him introduce in Genesis chapter three. He brings deceptive ideas into our minds that play off of our distorted desires that ultimately lead to our destructive behavior. This is what he did to Eve with the original temptation in Genesis three. It's what he's constantly doing to us because he knows that when he gets us right here in the middle, when all three of these things happen and our destructive behaviors start to take over, this is where sin enters. It's where it entered humanity and it's where it enters our lives. Because he knows the more attractive the idea, that's your brain, and the more it appeals to our desires or your heart, then the more power it has to dictate your behaviors with your life. 
This is the enemy's threefold strategy to steal and kill and destroy. Everything that God may want to show you is available in life. Because what God wants for you, what we see, Jesus actually say it's why he showed up, is that you can find a more and better life than you ever dreamed of. But the enemy wants to attack that. He wants to steal and kill and destroy it. It's what he did to Adam and Eve, and it's what he does to you every single day. Guys, this is a war. And that's a big word to say, but there's not a better word to say what it is. This is a war and you're in it. And it's a war that's not waged on you physically. It's a war against you mentally. That's how the enemy actually works. He's trying to take you out mentally with your thoughts by deceiving your mind with lies because he knows that he can best strangle you and take you out from that more and better life that God wants for you with lies. He sees you through the entirety of your life, every single moment that's led you here and every single moment that you will do later. He sees you and guess what? He hates your existence. Like let's not mix it up or get it twisted. There is a real enemy who really wants to kill you. He hates your existence. And you're like, but I didn't even do anything. It doesn't matter. He hates you because God loves you. Simply for the fact that God created you and loves you, he hates you and he is declaring war on you. Now, a lot of times we're like, I don't know what that means. Let me say it this way so you'll remember. He's looking at you and he's saying, hey, one, two, three, four, I declare a thought war. Not a thumb war, uh uh a thought war. Maybe you'll remember this now. The next time you hear that little song, one, two, three, four, I declare a thought war. Now, we don't talk a lot about spiritual warfare much in life or much in our culture. It's not something that pervades all of our conversation. But at the end of the day, you need to understand that the most important fight you will ever face in your entire life isn't against that stupid freaking eight-year-old who called my daughter that. It's against the association of those words that are said to you and those things that you experience as your identity. So the kid isn't her enemy. Those words now are her enemy. The association of that as her identity is her enemy. And Paul, one of the people who followed Jesus, who wrote a third of the Bible, who who tried to help everyone in the early church get it right. It's why he writes to us and to the early church saying this. It's why he says this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Because the weapons that we fight with are not of the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now our word demolish here is actually translated from the Greek word katharéo. Don't worry, I don't know Greek. I looked that up online, okay? Katharéo is how you say it. And katharéo, which literally means destruction requiring massive power. Or another version, to bring down with violence. You're like, ooh, I woke up today choosing violence. Yeah, that's what he's saying to do to this war on your thoughts and to the lies that exist because this language we have, it's active language, it's war language and it's very intentional because this is a war on your mind. And so Paul continues by saying this. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension, lies, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, truth. We're in this battle of lies versus truth. 
He says, and so what we do as we demolish those strongholds is we take captive, is what he says. This is war language. This is active language. This is something you do in a fight. And so we take captive. What do we take captive? Every thought. You take captive every single thought. You grab it, you hold it, and what do you do with it? You make it obedient to Christ. In other words, you put a filter in your life and you run every thought through that filter towards Jesus to see whether or not this is true. In other words, you make it obedient to truth. So this is what we've got to do to unlock this best possible life. Understand that what God wants for us is this life that is empowered by truth instead of enslaved to lies. Because if you're not aware, if you're not aware of all this and you just go through life, what happens is those lies start to build. You start to view lies as truth and then those lies become truth that you live out even though they're not actually true. And before long, you start to lose trust in God and you start to lose trust that he loves you, that he wants you. And for so many of you in life, you allow that lack of trust, that disbelief, you move from doubting with questions to simply questioning. And the moment you do that, you start to run and hide from God, just like Adam and Eve did. Like, oh, I'm aware that something's not right. I'm gonna run and hide. But when we run and hide, we don't run and hide away from everything. We typically run and hide towards something else. Something else on the outside that we think is gonna make us feel better. But what we saw last week is that even though you may make those mistakes and even though you may sin and even though you may hide and you may run, God's not hiding from you. He comes after you. You run away from him and he runs faster after you. It's within his character. How do we know it's within his character? Because we see that he wants you back and he moved heaven and earth to rescue you. Not because of what you've done, but in spite of it. That's how much he loves you. And what I need you to know tonight is that this God, this creator God, this do everything that it takes, give myself up for you God, who wants to help you defeat those lies in your life and give you a life full of truth. He wants you to win the war on your thoughts. That God is here and he is available to you. In the same way Caleb said it a moment ago, you get to choose to get near him. And so if you're in here tonight and you're like, that sounds awesome, that sounds great, I think I want that, how? Like, cool, that's a great thought. How can I actually do that? How do I simply find this to become a truth for me? How do I do that? Well, the very first thing that you have to do is you have to realize that something is a lie. And you have to realize that something is a lie because you cannot defeat what you cannot define. You cannot defeat what you cannot define. If you go through life and you're like, something's wrong, I'll figure it out all blind, you're never gonna hit the mark. You can't defeat what you can't define. You have to identify the lie that has become a stronghold for you. And you must realize the negative impact that it's had on you and that it's had on others. And see, whenever you identify it, what you also have to grasp is that this isn't simply just changing your behaviors. Because simply changing your behaviors, it won't bring you the life-changing results that you want. It won't bring you the freedom that you desire. It won't bring you anything other than a temporary satisfaction that most likely leads to a disappointment. Because think about it. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Show of hands. 
That's fun. How many of you have ever had that New Year's resolution hold longer than a year? It's a lot less hands, guys. I'm just saying, right? Typically, it's like, I'm going to do it this year. That's right. It's going to be the best year ever. New year, new me. And then by January 10th, you're like, God, I'm back here again, right? It doesn't last. Maybe you're disciplined enough to make it to the 12th. Okay, fine. I'll give it to you. But a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe, maybe a year. But what typically happens is we fall right back into those habits. Maybe it's not a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's a diet that you try. Or maybe you're like, I'm going to go and get some gains in the weight room and I'm going to build some muscle. And you're like, it's been seven years and that's not happening anymore. I don't know why y'all are laughing. Yeah, Ryan, you can't talk about the muscles anymore, bro. I got dad bod. They're not here. Not here. That's what happens when you have five kids. This is true in our lives in so many areas. Diets or working out or, or maybe, and this is a little bit more serious that I think is real for every single one of us, for guys and girls. We get so fed up with our decisions that we say once and for all with so much resolve that we are never gonna look at pornography again. But inevitably what happens is that at some point in the future, we find ourselves stumbling into it again. There's a gap between our decisions for our behaviors and what actually happens. Our New Year's resolutions fade away. Our diets quit. Our working out stops. We fall back into those old habits and those old rhythms without even trying. My wife and I, we changed the way that we started eating about 10 years ago. She would get really, really sick. When, she, when we were in college, her last year of college, she had to have surgery, had her gallbladder out, and we couldn't figure out what it was. She would get sick so often that like, people were starting to wonder, like, where's Larson? Is she, is she okay? We couldn't figure it out. We went to like seven different doctors. No one had any answer. She got tested for everything under the sun. No one gave an answer. She had surgery, still didn't fully fix it. We couldn't figure it out. And then we had a friend look at us, and he was like, I bet it's what you're eating. And I was like, what are you talking about? I eat Chick-fil-A, not Taco Bell. Come on. <laughs> like, really? You're really going to put that on me? And he's like, no, I'm serious. I bet it's what you're eating. I bet it's what you're putting into your body. I bet it's affecting her and making her sick. And so then we started to learn more and more and more about what we were eating and what it does to your body. This machine that you have as you fill and fuel the engine of your body, we started to learn. And so then we started to change the way that we ate. And a few years into this, I had a friend, a pastor, who was talking about breakthrough and how you can find breakthrough in your life, physical breakthrough for so many people. And he said, hey, y'all, y'all changed like your life and the way that you eat. What was the catalyst? What made you do that? And I looked at him and I don't think he was expecting this answer. I said, we got educated. That's simply it. Because we tried gluten-free for a little bit. That didn't help. We tried dairy-free for a little bit. That didn't help. We tried all these different things. But the moment we got educated about food and what it did to our bodies, all of a sudden our lifestyle backed up that knowledge. Because something didn't just change in our behaviors, something changed in our mind. See, changing your behaviors, it won't change your life. That's why, in case you were wondering, following Jesus isn't just about behavior modification. Following Jesus is not behavior modification. He's not sitting here saying, so do this and do this and do this and then you'll be better. No, no, no. He's wanting far more for you and asking far more from you because following Jesus isn't about behavior modification. It's about life transformation. 
This isn't me trying to say, here's the gospel. Do you want to fit it into your life? Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Here's your life. Here's the gospel. You got to get all of this into here. This is everything. And your life will be transformed when you do. And once again, Paul knew this as he was talking to the early church, and it's what he would tell us again tonight. In the book of Romans chapter 12, because of all this, he says, therefore, in in light of all those things, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, I implore you, listen, 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 don't miss this. And I love that he says brothers and sisters. We get it twisted so many times that this is all about a male hierarchy of things. That's not true. So many women started the church and so many women are leaders in the church. And if you're a girl in here and anyone ever tells you that you can't lead in the church, listen, that's a lie from the enemy and it's wrong, okay? So listen, when he says brothers and sisters, you can totally clap for that. That's incredible. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. Because even Paul is saying, hey, early church, everyone, brothers and sisters, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, because God has been merciful to you, because he loves you, because he is coming after you, he wants to rescue you, even though you don't deserve it. Because of that, I urge you, therefore, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, when he says worship, he's not talking about singing songs because Mitchell or Tiana or Lauren or Clay or Caleb's voice is so incredible. Has nothing to do with singing songs. What he's saying is your entire life, a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies, everything you do, your daily rhythms, offer it to God as a living sacrifice because this is your true worship. And what he means is wherever you give your attention to, wherever it's fixed towards is what what you will end up worshiping. So fix your attention on God. And when you do this, here's the language for us. It says, when you do this, what I need to make sure you understand is do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. I think here, this is exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying the world around you, all the influences, all, all the situations, all the circumstances, all the voices. Don't be conformed to those things around you. I'm losing, I'm losing the pen that says conformed. Can you read it? There you go. Don't be conformed to the world around you. Other translations say it this way. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you just fit in right to it. It's seamless. In other words, don't copy it. Because whenever you are conformed to the world around you, this is something that just happens to you. It is by definition, I would say, it's passive. It's something that happens to you. It's like if I've got a container and I got a lot of water and I pour that water into the container, the water isn't getting to choose what its shape is or where it goes. It is conformed to the, to the vessel that it goes into. And so being conformed is passive. And whenever you do this, you're allowing the outside voices to, voices to inform your identity and tell you how you should live. It just happens to you. But that's not what he says that you should do. He says, do not be conformed by the pattern of this world. He says something else. He says, but be transformed. Because following Jesus is about life transformation. Be transformed instead. And here's what he means. 
Instead of being conformed by the outside, what I want you to do is I want you to be active in the way that you live. I want you to be transformed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Because life transformation is something that happens to you on the inside. This means it takes deliberate work. This means that you're not a victim, that you get to play the victor. You get to move forward in your life. This means you grow in maturity. This is becoming who God desires for you to be, is being transformed. Because what this is, is finding how you can actually live the more and better life that God desires for you the more and better life you could ever dream of. If being conformed is passive, it happens to you, this is something completely different because this is an active way of living. Being transformed is active because listen, make no mistake, what's true about your life, all of you, whether you're aware of it or not, is you are constantly, something's always happening to you, you are constantly being formed by something. Something is always going to be telling you about the formation of your life. And if you choose to be conformed by the patterns around you and it's something that happens to you, you're giving power to that, what you're saying is, I am choosing to become enslaved by unreality, by the lies of this world or the deception of the culture around me, telling me who I should be or what I should be or what things that are said about me are actually true of me. But if you are transformed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out, this right here, this is empowerment. Now I am empowered to live a life that's far beyond anything I realize that I can do on my own. Now I am empowered by truth, not enslaved to lies. Now I'm empowered by reality. So how do you do this? How do you actually do this? How can you make sure that you are being transformed and not conformed? He continues on. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not of your body, not of your heart, not of your soul. No, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Jesus. We allow Jesus to transform our minds by by realizing what truth is. And then we become truth machines (laughs) that are equipped to live the more and better life that God actually wants for us. There's a simple way that you can do this. If you're like, this sounds great, I wanna figure it out, I wanna live this life, you've gotta do some work. There's something that's gotta actually happen in you to understand who you really are through the lens of God. And Craig Groeschel, he's one of my favorites, Again, super inspiration for the series. In his book, Winning the War with Your Mind, says it this way. He calls it the replacement principle. The replacement principle. Now, you've got practices and you've got principles. Practices are things that you see other people do and you copy it. A principle is something you see someone do and you adopt it. You take a principle and you apply it to your life in your context, in your setting, in the best possible way that you can. So he's not saying, here's a practice, go and copy it. He's saying, here's the replacement principle that all of you can adopt and apply to your life exactly where you are today. Here it is. Step one, first thing you gotta do is you gotta remove the lies. You gotta perform surgery. You gotta get in there and actually identify what is the lie because you cannot defeat what you cannot define. 
So the first thing you do is you remove the lies. What has been said about me in my past? What situation occurred to me? What thing happened that I didn't ask for that's actually informing everything of the worldview I have about my life and about who I really am? You gotta identify it and then you gotta remove it. You gotta get rid of it. But the moment you perform the surgery and you get rid of it, you gotta do something else because now you got a gap. And what you do is you remove the lie and then you replace with truth. It can't get more simple than this. The replacement principle says you remove the lie and you replace it with truth. You perform surgery on your thoughts if you actually wanna be transformed into the life that God wants for you. And so I thought I'd give you an example of how this looks. Like, that's great. Well, let me get very practical with you. So the first thing you do is you have to identify the lie and you have to remove it. And in my mind, maybe what we can all do is pull back to the exact same story. Maybe it's not a lie that you've got because all of us have different lies that we believe and that we have to struggle with, battle with, but we can all see the exact same lie, the original lie, the first lie, the first temptation was that story from Genesis 3. When the serpent sat there and told Eve that she can't, Trust God. And so the lie was, I can't trust God. And because I can't trust him, I'm gonna go and do whatever I wanna do. I actually need to be in control. And how many of us, that's true for the way that we live. I need to be in control. And so if this is the lie that Eve had to deal with, if this is the lie that you've had to deal with, that God can't be trusted and you need to be in control, then all right, if we remove that lie, if we get rid of that lie, then what is then the truth that we can replace it with? You find out the lie and then you replace it with truth. And then how do you replace it with truth? How do you know the truth? You go into scripture, you go into Jesus's story, you go into all these examples of God speaking and interacting with people to show you what's real. You look at the history of Jesus. The fact that he moved heaven and earth to come after you and to, and to show up for you. And you start to see something about God's character. It's a knowledge in your mind that shapes the truth that you believe. And so what you can do is say, we see in Romans chapter five, verse eight, we see this reality where it says that while we were still sinners, Jesus did something for us. Not because of what we've done, because we were still sinners. But in spite of what we've done, while we were still sinners, when we were at our worst, Christ died for us. This is a truth that you can anchor yourself to, is that Christ died for us. So I don't know that I can trust God. I don't know that he's trustworthy. I don't know that he actually said, that he actually means what he says and he actually follow through. I don't know that he's actually gonna follow through on all those promises. But Romans 5, 8 shows us that the life of Jesus completely obliterates that lie. It performs surgery on that lie because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And how else could you ever trust someone than the fact that they'd be willing to give up their life for you? They love you that much. And so the moment you've got your lie and you get rid of it and you replace it with truth, the last thing you need to do is you need to declare that truth over your life. So you have a declaration of truth. And the declaration of truth in this instance, for this example, is that God obviously loves me more 
than I love myself. God loves me more. Got to keep writing, Matt. <laughs> God loves me more than I do. And if you want to know like where that is and the fact that you can trust him, there's more scripture. Romans 8, 32. That's three. Because Romans 8, 32 shows us this truth. And so you perform surgery by doing this activity. This is an example. And I don't know what lies you showed up here believing about yourself. Whatever we talked about last week, that's on the outside sitting here trying to tell you who you are, your family, your opportunities, your friends, the, that idea that you're not good enough, social media feeling you, making you feel like you're alone and you're isolated, the depression, the anxiety, the suicidal thoughts, all of those things that have taken captive of your life. What you have to do is you've got to put a target on the lies and you've got to go after them. You've got to perform surgery on your thoughts if you want to live a transformed life. You've got to put a target on them. And then you got to remove them. You got to get rid of them. Because there are so many of you that are sitting here believing lies about yourself and lies about God. These deceptive ideas have gotten into your brain that says you can't live a life of purpose. Because these lies are screaming at you about your purpose or about the fact that you don't belong here or that maybe you're not worth loving or that you're not enough. Like, I struggle with this too. I told you a story last week about I just wanna be wanted by the people that I want to want me. And so when I feel unwanted, I get stuck in the lies, I get stuck in those ruts. But living in those lies has taken up so much of my life it has defined such a large chunk of my life because I'm constantly now always having to fight against them. And thank God, I've been able to do a little bit more surgery than maybe you have. And I can tell you on the other side that there are anchoring statements of truth that can get you out of that rut. I'm constantly having to be reminded always about what's true, about what God says is true. And for some of you tonight, you just need to be reminded of what's true. Because there are some of these lies that exist in your brain that are telling you who you are and you need to perform surgery and remove the lies and replace it with truth. Because can I just speak into that for a second for you? When God made you, he didn't make you a mistake. He didn't. Now, that's not a statement about how flawless you are. It's a statement about how fixed his character is. and his perfection, he made you his creation, his child. He formed you. He knit you. He knows you, every part of you. And he didn't make you needing something else. But our enemy is constantly telling us that we don't have enough or that we aren't enough or that we'll never be enough. And so we should do whatever we can in our own power to become what we don't have. And he's lying to us, saying that Jesus plus something else is actually what you need. But God sits there and he says, who told you that? Who told you that Jesus isn't enough for you? Who told you that you actually need that job or that spouse or that affirmation? Who told you you need that family or that opportunity or that career or that degree? Who told you you need that community or that platform of influence? Who said these things to you? Who told you that you need anything other than Jesus? Just Jesus. Because as you place your identity and your hope in anything else, you're placing it in something that's never going to last. I mean, why would you place your identity in what culture says about you? 
Because culture changes, fashion changes. And guess what? Your appearance and your attractiveness, it changes too. But God doesn't change. It's his character. He sees you as you are and he says, you are lovely because I love you. That's why. All your imperfections, your indentions, your intellect, all your stretch marks and your moles or your muscles, your zip code, your parents, your family history, your history, the worst parts of your history. He looks right at all of it and he says, hey, guess what? I'm right here. I've always been right here. I'm never leaving from right here because I choose you. And then when you choose me, when you choose to follow me, when you choose to give your life to me, when you choose to allow my truth to become the anchor of your life, when you choose me, all the noise and all the dreams and all the fears, you'll start to develop a confidence that can't be shaken by any of them. And the lies start to fade and dissipate. And all of a sudden there is a purpose that exceeds your circumstances. There's an identity of being found in Jesus that declares that you are enough, that you are worth loving. And that if you lose everything, but you only have Jesus, you will be okay. Don't you want that? Don't you want that confidence? It's unshaken by your circumstances. It doesn't always have to listen to the voices or the noises in the world around you. Don't you want that security? I mean, don't you want that life? If you want that life, then what you have to do tonight, you gotta start putting it in practice. You gotta lay and put down those lies and anchor yourself to truth. I think, therefore I am. Descartes, he was right. Or What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. A.W. Tozer was right because now my identity is anchored in what I know about God, not in my feelings, not in my circumstances, not in my culture, not in my society, not in my ideology. No, not in the dream maybe of my husband or my wife one day or having kids or having that job, not in my expectations. It's anchored in Jesus and all of those things can change. But my Jesus never does. He does not change. And he did everything for you because he loves you. That's why the enemy hates you. It's why he's trying to steal and kill and destroy what God wants for you. And that's why he sends lies racing into your heart. But whenever they come in, my mind reminds me of the truth that even when my brain or my body or my feelings may forget my mind reminds me of what's true and therefore I choose to live my life being faithful to the purpose that God has for me. And if you're like, well, what's my purpose? You get to figure that out day by day and decision by decision. That is the beautiful part of this journey of following Jesus. And so the next time that I allow the lies on the outside to inform something about my identity, I can replace them now with truth. And that truth is that ultimately my life is anchored by God being my authority. God is my ultimate authority. And so it doesn't matter what I think, what I feel, what everyone else says. If he says it, I got to live it out. I got to look at it and say it's true. And his word is right. 
And then no thing or no one else or no person ever will have the power to determine my life. And in those moments, when I need, need to be reminded of what's true because everything else around me is in darkness or it's clouded or it's unclear or I don't know, I need to be anchored to the truth and I need to remember this and you need to remember it too, that God's view of me is true of me. Not that dumb eight-year-old. Not the circumstances around me. Not what culture says about me. Not what social media says about me. Not what comparison says about me. Not what my parents say about me. Not what my friends say about me. Not what my successes or my opportunities or my weaknesses or my failures or my mistakes. None of those things. What none of those things say about me are true of me. Above the fact that what God says about me is true of me because God's view of me is true of me. It's built into his character. So what lies have you been believing as true of you? that you need to remove so that God can come into that gap and replace it with truth of who you are, of how he views you, of how much he loves you and of how worth it he, it is to follow him. I wanna pray for y'all as you navigate it, as you think about it. Because the rest of your life hangs in the balance of what you choose to do now. So Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us, not because of us, but loving us in spite of us. Thank you for looking at us and saying that we are lovely simply because you love us. But Father, there are students in this room who have been believing lies and they've walked in here inside this deception that they don't belong here or they can't come close to you or that you don't want them. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would supernaturally get into their minds, break apart that lie, tear down the strongholds and allow them to understand the truth of how you see them. I pray that you would ignite something inside all of them to wanna to draw closer to you because when they do, they're gonna see that you wanna draw near to them, that you don't run away from us because we've messed up. You run faster towards us. You wanna find us, you wanna help us. You want us to experience that more and better life than we could ever dream of. So Jesus, do that. Do the business that you are in of winning our hearts and informing our minds of truth. I pray that if anyone in here is confused or they're still locked into their shame and their condemnation about the decisions they've made, the mistakes they've made, Father, I pray that you would so sweetly and tenderly and kindly show them that there is forgiveness available, that there is mercy available, and that there is love available. There's purpose available. There's life available in you. So thank you for loving us that much that you would give everything for us. And we see that you loved us first. And so we respond by saying, we love you right back. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.